Hi, Journey. Awesome to see every single one of you today. It's a real privilege to be with you, especially if you're a guest. We're really, really honored by your presence today. I want to say thanks to Duncan Hill, Bozeman's own Duncan Hill, for that interview and for sharing with us uh, this incredible work that they're doing through the Uganda Orphans Fund. Uh, I think Duncan will be here after we're done in here today, out in the lobby. And I just want to say that if God's nudging you in any way through what you heard or saw on that screen, God might be saying the same thing to you that he said to Duncan some years ago, and that was go to Uganda. You, you might be getting tapped on the shoulder by God, and if he's doing that, if God's doing that, don't skip it, right? Like, don't ignore it, don't blow him off, don't, you know, I'll deal with that tomorrow. Go talk to Duncan and engage in a conversation with him, like, today, or hook up with him through their website. His email address is on there. Whatever you do, do not blow past what God is saying to you around all of that. You probably notice we're shifting gears a bit today. For a couple of months, we've been talking about core values, our mission statement as a church, so that we're all on the same page. We want all of us together to know who we are, where we're going, what we're about. No hidden agendas, no surprises, all cards face up. I hope that you made some space this past week to dig into our mission statement with the Lord. I did, and it was a fantastic time. I'm not done yet. Uh, you should know that our staff took last week's homework around the mission statement real seriously, and we had an all-staff gathering this past week, and they came back to me, fed back to me on some of what the Lord was talking to them about. It was amazing, and some of the staff, me included, are going to keep going, using that mission statement as sort of the basis of what does God want to do in me, and what does he want to do through me, and I invite you to accompany us on that, all in an endeavor for the Lord to dig out of us who he wants us to be, right? Uncovering and digging through all the crud so that we can be the people who God made us to be. The gear we're shifting into, however, just like every year for the past few, when the calendar page turns to the month of November, we as a church community work through a series of weekend experience messages called Kingdom Come. And these messages for years now are designed to move every single one of us to action with the poor, with the oppressed, with widows, with orphans, with those cast to the margins of society. And the reason that we take a whole month every year calling our church to that kind of action is because God takes the way that his church interfaces with the poor and with the oppressed and with widows and with orphans and with those cast to the margins of society, God takes the way we treat them very, very seriously. He doesn't joke around. He doesn't mess around. And so we follow his pattern and we're not messing around with this either. You and I see the church of Jesus Christ, we're on the hook to be the hands and feet of Christ in the lives of the people who the Bible calls the least of these. That is the poor and the oppressed, widows and orphans, all those cast to the margins of society, the least of these, and we're on the hook. We are on the hook to be involved, to love, to serve, to give, to go, to care. We're on the hook. I want to start out today by telling you that when you obey God and when you step out and when you are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, when you do roll up your sleeves, when you serve and love the least of these, you have to know it's not easy, it's not dreamy, it's never ever going to be a walk on the primrose path. So if you have some idea that you see this video in Duncan and you see this cool bunch of kids and they're all worshiping Jesus and you're like, oh my gosh, that is the best and I have to, and it, and it, and it is, 
But you have to know when you go and when you give and when you serve and when you love, it's not going to be easy. The furthest thing from it, actually. It's difficult. It's going to be difficult. Probably one of the most difficult things you'll do in your entire life. It's riddled with challenge, disappointment, pain, despair, probably unlike anything you've ever experienced in your whole life, or at least a close second. And if you talk to Duncan, you sort of hear him reference it in that interview. He says, oh my gosh, of course it's worth the risk, but it came at incredible cost. He's got stories of betrayal and damage. But he says at the end of the day, it's still worth it. And so it's hard. And just because it's hard doesn't mean that we're off the hook. We're still on the hook to obey God and serve the least of these. No one, not a single person gets a hall pass from God just because it's likely going to be the most difficult thing you'll ever do or one of the most difficult things you'll ever do. We're on the hook, every last one of us. And so because we're all on the hook to love and serve the least of these, I want to spend the time we have together today showing you a couple of things that are God's non-negotiables for people who realize they're on the hook, like us, and who then in turn set out to love and serve the least of these. The first one of God's non-negotiables is this. The love that you give to the poor and the oppressed and widows and orphans and those cast to the margins of society is risky. It comes at great risk. It is risky. It's so risky, I actually want you to say that with me. It's risky. Ready? One, two, three, it's risky. Don't say I never told you, because you just said it. It's risky. Loving and serving the least of these is flat out risky because, see, it sets our safety and our comfort and our neat and tidy world, it sets them in peril. Our safe little world, our safe little life, it puts it quite in jeopardy, really. It causes us to move out to places of, well, daring, which interestingly is the first word of Journey's mission statement. I talked to you about that last week. If you weren't here, I'd ask you to do me a favor. That's download from journeyweb.net last week's message, message and get around that mission statement. Create a little time, create a little space with the Lord and process that with the Lord. Loving people, I don't care who it is, is risky. It's daring. It's out on the razor's edge of faith. Loving and serving the least of these is absolutely a walk on the razor's edge of faith, and most of us, we're not comfortable there. We gravitate to comfort. We gravitate towards safety. It doesn't come naturally for us to live dangerously, live risky. And the Apostle Paul, who by the way, if he's not yet, should be on your list of Christian heroes, he writes this text, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7, to help challenge in us this propensity that we all have to gravitate to comfort and safety. Look at what he says. Love never gives up. And lots of us today, we, we need to hear those four words right there. Love never gives up. Because there were circumstances in your week over the past seven days where you've been really, really tempted just to walk out the door. To throw up your hands and say, forget this. And God, via the Apostle Paul, is sort of putting his finger in your chest right now and saying, love never gives up. 
get that. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. And love endures through every circumstance. You wonder today, is this love that I have for this person or these people, is it enough? And look at what Paul says. Love endures through every, and the word every, by the way, it means every. Love endures through every circumstance. And Paul's saying, look, when you love people, I don't care if it's the least of these, I don't care if it's the most of these, I don't care if it's your spouse, the person you're dating, your kids, your parents, your siblings, your neighbor, the other guys on your team, it doesn't matter who, the people at work, when you love people, you are taking an enormous risk. And you're like, what? I don't, really? I, you're taking an enormous risk when you love people. Because, and some of you know this, when you love the person or the people who you're loving, they might stab you in the back. Some of us know what that feels like. The person or people who you love, they might spit in your face. The person or people you're loving, they might hurt you tremendously. The person or people you're loving, they might reject you entirely. The person or people you're loving, they might actually literally scream in your face, I hate you. Ever had that happen? It's risky. It's risky. And Paul wants us to know when that happens, and notice I said when that happens, not if that happens. When that happens, we're all going to be tempted to throw in the towel, to give up, to lose faith, to lose hope, and go, you know, this just ain't worth it. I got better ways to spend my time. I got better ways to spend my energy. And God says through Paul, it's absolutely worth it. You better believe that it's worth it. Do not stop taking the huge risk that it is to love people just because it gets difficult. We're acknowledging, yes, loving people gets hard. Loving people gets gnarly. Loving people imperils your comfort and your safety. And when that happens, we all, I know the feeling, we want to retreat to our couch, right? And we just want to curl up into a little ball and go to heck with all of that. It's too hard. And Paul says, "Uh uh-uh. And he very graciously and lovingly kicks our butt off the couch and back out onto the razor's edge of faith Because love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. Love endures through every circumstance. This loving people deal, it's a risk. Loving the least of these is a risk. Loving anyone is a risk. It's a risk. It's a risk. It's risky. So risky. Dana and I lost track of how many people we saw loving in incredibly risky ways while we were in the Democratic Republic of Congo in August and September. We stayed at this little motel. It's called Sunny Day. Isn't that nice? Cute little place. Lots of American adoption agencies have relationship with the Sunny Day Hotel. And so all these adoptive families stay there. It's safe. It's nice. It's reasonably priced. And it also means that you're engulfed by other adoptive families when you're there. 
kids everywhere, families everywhere. Some days that's a great thing. Other days it's really hard. And here's how it would go. You could almost set your clock by this. Around 8 o'clock every Monday night, there would be this van. It would honk its horn out at the gate. The gate would open. The van would drive in. Out would stumble this brand new crop of adoptive couples just arriving. They're fresh off of a 30-something hour trip. They're adorned with this where am I and what just happened to me glow, you know? Jet lag and no toothbrush for 30 hours and all that stuff. And the families who were already there like us, we knew the drill. We'd hear the van, we'd hear the horn. And so we would all leave our rooms, we'd go outside, and we'd be like the welcome wagon for these people just arriving. We'd give them anything. Lots of luggage doesn't show up in the DRC, in case you ever go there. And and so, you know, you're asking these families, my luggage didn't show up. Oh, you need a toothbrush? Yeah, I got a spare one. Here, you can have all this stuff. But it was interesting to me that there was only really one thing that those new arriving families wanted to talk about. You know what it was? When their kids were coming to the Sunny Day Motel to be with them. That's the only thing they really cared. They could care less about a shower or a toothbrush or their luggage for that matter. They just really wanted to see their kids. And they're like buzzing with enthusiasm because they know that the next day at such and such a time their agency is going to bring their kid or their kids to them. And this was this moment that they'd been waiting for for some, in some cases, like a couple years, sometimes even longer than that. So we who were the welcome wagon, we'd offer to take photos or videos the next day of those first moments with their kids. And we'd make a few minutes of small talk and then the fresh arrivals, they'd amble off to bed, visions of meeting their kids and just a handful of hours coursing like anxious pangs through their guts as they struggled through a fitful night of semi-sleep. And so the next day we'd all wake up and at or near the appointed hour, sometimes nowhere near the appointed hour, everything's late in the DRC. Those families who had arrived the night before, they'd gather all of us up with cameras and video cameras who were going to record these moments when their kids arrived. And we'd be standing around looking at watches, wondering, are they ever going to show up? Oh gosh, where are they? What happened? Calling. And then just when you least expected it, you'd hear a honk at the gate. It would open the car. The car carrying the kids would drive into the compound and out would pour these long sought-after kids. And there'd be camera flashes and tears and laughter and smiles. And I only have one word to describe that scene, and it's this, marvelous. Just simply marvelous. It never, ever got old. Children, right, who had been through so incredibly much, finally, finally in the arms of parents who love them with this unimaginable love. And you sort of step back from the scene and you go like, whoa, all is right in the world. But the flip side of that coin is that traumatized kids, whether they're three months old or nine years old, they don't necessarily in that moment feel like everything is right. Or you imagine what they're going through. They've been handed off by a nanny, a nanny who probably had been caring for them for a very long time, a nanny to whom these children had become very, very attached. And now in some cases they're being shoved into the arms of complete and total strangers with white skin, I might add. And sure, that. They are, these strangers are their loving parents, but to the kids, right, they are strangers. And so you put yourself in the kids' shoes and you you go like, oh, okay. Kids probably not feeling like all is right in this world. And every single time that scene played out, more than a dozen times while we were there, 
Every single thing those precious little kids were feeling inside about what had just happened to them, these strange white people hugging, kissing, ooing, and awing over them, opening up these things called iPads and FaceTiming people on the other side of the planet to show them off to people at home. There'd come this moment when everything those kids were feeling inside about how freaked out they were started to bubble to the surface within just a few hours, a few hours of that marvelous, they're here moment. And I'm telling you the truth, the stuff that oozes out of traumatized kids isn't pretty. You do not want those moments recorded by anyone. You don't want to see it. You don't want to experience it. You, you, no. Meltdowns, they're called. Meltdowns. They last anywhere from 10 minutes to 5 hours or sometimes even longer. They include screaming and thrashing and crying and hysterics. And really, it just seems to sort of come out of nowhere. Those of us who are parents, we know, well, maybe if I just put little Johnny or little Susie on my lap and just cuddle them for a few, that doesn't help. Not so helpful. Now, some families, they they know about the meltdown deal. They've done their homework. They've read up. They've prayed up. They get it. They're ready. They roll with it. They give their son. They give their daughter. They give their multiple kids the love and space. They need to grieve everything that's just happened to them as well as everything they've been through over the course of their whole life. And then there's other families who have no idea what's happening. They wonder what's wrong. They wonder what's wrong with their kid. Or kids. They wonder what they did. They wonder what in the world their child or their children needs. Their kid might be screaming some word in a foreign language, and so they're ravaging through translation guides trying to find what do they want. They have to go to the bathroom. What is it? Lots of families are left asking this question when are we going to be all done with this very antisocial behavior? This isn't cool, right? Some people say, what am I going to do? What in the world am I going to do if this happens on the airplane 30 hours on the way home? What, what are all the other passengers going to think when this five hours of a fit, a meltdown? And it doesn't matter whether you're prepared for those meltdowns or not. For any adoptive parent whose child or whose children go into meltdown mode, what it feels like is that all that love you've stored up and given and longed to give these sweet little kids, the sweet little kid, it feels like all of that love is being, sorry for the graphic imagery here, is being puked back up in your face. These little kids don't want it. They're not interested. They don't care that you love them. They, They don't want anything to do with this. It's risky. It's oh so risky. Families investing years and thousands of dollars and and then to have it all puked back on you. And some families are left asking these questions. Did we make some kind of huge mistake to sign up for this? Is this what the rest of life is going to consist of? What have we gotten ourselves into? Can I call that car back who brought the kid and put the kid back in and say, uh-uh, can I do that? And whether you're an adoptive parent who's experiencing meltdown and feeling the incredible risk that love is, 
or if you're a person here who's trying to love your neighbor or your coworker really, really well and having that love puked back in your face, love's risky. It's all so risky. Loving anyone is so risky. And Paul calls us again and again and again. He reminds us this is risky. Sometimes this is going to blow up in your face. It's going to get puked back up all over you. But never forget that love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. Love endures through every circumstance. You're going to feel like quitting when it goes badly. But God through Paul says no. It's not an option. Quitting is not an option. And we're talking about loving the least of these and you have to know that when you love the least of these it's especially risky. Especially risky. Because very often the least of these, their life circumstances, have caused them to have no idea how to metabolize cascades of unconditional love and affection that they're receiving. A whole bunch of them for the very first time in their entire lives. They can be 9 or 10 or 11 or 12 years old and have never experienced unconditional, no matter what, love. They don't have a category for it. And when that happens, whether it's with an orphan child, a former orphan child, or when it's with your coworker or some guy on your team that you're loving well and who has no idea what to do with this, you have to show that person again and again and again that no matter what they do, no matter what they say, no matter how many times they puke that love back in your face, you're not quitting. That you're gonna keep loving. You're gonna keep loving. Your love is just going to gush. And it's going to gush, and it's going to gush, and it's going to gush. And it's not going to stop. It's not going to stop. Because love never gives up. Love never, ever loses faith. Love is always hopeful. Love endures through every circumstance. Loving people is risky. You got that? Loving people is risky. The second of God's non-negotiables. When we step out on the razor's edge of faith and we love people, doesn't matter who it is, all people, anyone, that risky love that we give away, please hear this, it's God's love. That's God's love. It isn't just you. It's not just you being nice to people. It's actually God's love metabolized through you and then given away to someone else. It's like you're a conduit into the life of someone else of God's love. You experience it firsthand and then you give it away. So whatever you do, don't go out these doors and go, okay, I, I just gotta work really, really hard to love people really, really well. It's risky. Don't do that. What I hope you do today is go out those doors and go, God, I, I really want to experience firsthand your love. I've got to experience your love. I've got to receive your love. And then God's gonna download his love into you. He's doing it all the time, every single day. And then you're gonna give that away. 
what he's doing in you, you're just going to give it away. It's passing through you. You're a conduit, not a reservoir. It's passing through you. 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love, right? Incredible theological truth here. And then later in 1 John 4, verse 19, we love each other. Why? Because he loved us first. We love each other because he loved us first. So you see, love is really, really risky. Loving people is really, really risky. But what we have to know, what we have to believe, what we have to walk out is that the root, the source, the energy behind our love for people, all people, is the extraordinary love of God. It's not just us in our flesh. It's rooted and established in the extraordinary love of God. And see, it's in the extraordinary love of God that our drive for justice in this messed up world is centered in. The extraordinary love of God is the very reason that sincere followers of Jesus Christ refuse to settle for anything less than God's kingdom coming now, here on earth, just like it is in heaven, and we're not gonna give up, we're not gonna quit, we're not gonna stop until that's the way it is here. Your kingdom come. On earth, God, just like it is in heaven. We love each other, we love people, because God loved us first. Because you see, once you've tasted the outrageous love of God, what do you do? You go and you outrageously love others with his love. And it's risky. It's incredibly risky. But we dare to risk loving people because God dared to risk loving us. That's our call. That's our mission. That's what we're about, not just on Sunday morning, every single moment of every single day. We dare to risk loving people because God dared to risk loving us. Take your stuff and set it aside if you would, and I just invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads and move into a posture of listening and interaction with the Lord if you would. And in this moment, I just invite you to process with him, with God. Maybe you just ask him, God, what is it you're saying to me today about how loving people is risky? God, what are you saying to me today about me loving people with your love? Not just this manufactured love that I cook up myself but the love of God that you experience first and then give it away what's God saying to you today about your love quitting 
the temptation you felt even this week to throw in the towel, to stop loving, to turn it off, to shut it down, to walk out the door, to say no more. God's talking to you about that. And one of the things he's saying is love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. Love endures through every circumstance. Maybe for some of you today, God's driving home this truth, this reality, this stunning reality that he loved you first. And the most amazing thing about that is that God didn't love you when you were all dressed up and spit-shined and looking your best, best behavior, best show, Uh uh-uh, quite the opposite. God loved you first when you were at your very worst, when I was at my very worst when you were covered in the muck and the crud, when you were in a ditch. God loved you. And the coolest thing about God's love is he didn't just sit in heaven and like say it to you. He tangibly demonstrated his love and you know what he did? He sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ. He left heaven. Jesus left heaven. He put on the skin of humanity. He showed us what life his way looks like. And then he died on the cross. So that we didn't have to be stuck in our very worst place. So that we could have new life here and now. And we could have life forever with him in eternity. God took incredible risk. God loved you with his everything. With his only son, he loved you. With his only son, he loves you. And today, Jesus is saying to you, come on home. You can be forgiven. You can live life my way. And if God's working in your heart in that way today, you can take the very bold step of trusting Christ with your whole life, with your everything, by praying along with me right now, right where you're sitting. And you can just say this way, Jesus, thank you. I get it. I've spent a lot of time and a lot of energy trying to show you, God, that I'm good enough, and I can't. And so I cast myself on the mercy of Jesus Christ. Who died for me, to forgive me, to save me. Because God, you love me that much. Jesus, will you please be my savior? 
Jesus, from here on out, I make you the boss of my life. Here I am. Every last bit of me. Here I am. And if you're someone who's prayed with me just then, I gotta tell you that that is the biggest deal of your whole life. Nothing matters more, nothing carries more weight. And it's such a big deal around here. We invite people to tell us when they make that decision. This is a real private thing. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. This is you, me, and God right now. If you prayed with me just then, would you do something real daring? Would you just slip your hand up and lock eyes with me and let me say yes with you? Yeah, in the back. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, and here. Yeah, way to go. And here. Yes, and there. Way to go. And in the back. Yes. And here. Yes, to my right. And here. Like three, four, five of you over there. See, seven of you over there. Jeez. Way to go. Yeah, way to go. To my far right. Yes. Way to go. And there. Yes. Yes, here, absolutely. And there, way in the back, yes. And there, way in the back, absolutely. And here, yes. There, yes. Way to go. There, yeah. Jesus, we're stunned by the love that you gave us. God, love that was incredibly risky. That Jesus, you left heaven destined for what the world would call a tragic end. And yet what the world calls a tragic end, we call salvation, redemption, new life, and hope. And we find all that in you and in you alone, Jesus. And we just say thank you. Thanks for saving people here today. Thanks for doing a heart work in people right now. Thanks for transforming lives and eternities. Jesus, I pray that all of us would step out on the razor's edge of faith and that we would love people with your love through thick and through thin, through good times and bad times. And Jesus, help us not quit. Help us never quit, never throw in the towel, never walk away. Help us persevere in the same way, Jesus, that you persevere with us because we do the same thing to you. We puke your love all over you all the time, Jesus. And you love us. And you love us still. And we want to love like that. We want to love like you, Jesus. Please.